Hello. Hey, Mom. How are you? I don't know. Good. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, my pleasure. Are you ready? I think so. This will just be a conversation between us, and we'll just take it as a conversation. You can tell I'm nervous, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> I can. Okay. Let's do this. Just um, to get started, why don't you just say your name and where you're from and where you live and, um, yeah, that. Okay. Well, my name is Linda Christopher. I live in Denver, but I will always be from Jersey. And who, and who, who are you in relationship to me? I'm your mom. Yeah, you are. Hey, guys. JD here. That woman you just heard on the phone, that's my mom, Linda. She was confirmed and entered the Catholic Church at Easter Vigil in 2002. I was her sponsor, but I wasn't actually there because I was in college and I was at school. So since I wasn't there, I wanted to ask my mom about that day. And also, I guess I wanted to know my mom's conversion story. This episode is about conversions, and this quarantine, it seems to me is a good time to get to know better the people in our own families. So I interviewed my mom, and I found out that her story is much more powerful than I would have expected. After that, on the podcast, a lot of people who enter the Catholic Church later in life have powerful stories, and most of them go through a program called the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, or RCIA. In the second half of the program, we'll talk with a guy who leads RCIA at his parish, Then we'll talk with two women who are expecting to enter the Catholic Church at Easter Vigil, but now they're waiting much longer than they expected because of the coronavirus pandemic. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. Stay with us. My mom, Linda Christopher, was born in New Jersey in 1957. She grew up in Garwood, which is the same town where I grew up. She graduated high school in 1975, and shortly after graduation, a couple of big things happened. My mom's dad died, and then she got married. And she had my older sister, Dana Lisa, but marriage with Dana Lisa's dad didn't work out, and less than two years after they got married, they got divorced. A little while later, my mom started dating my dad, You might remember him from this one time when I interviewed him about playing Santa Claus. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Anyway, my dad was a Catholic when he and my mom met and started dating. My mom was not. Early on in our dating, he said, I need to tell you something. And I didn't know what it was, you know, but I could tell by his face it was very serious. And he said, I'm a Catholic and my children will be Catholic too. And I just looked at him and I thought, okay, fine, but we're just going to the movies. (laughs) And it didn't really, I had no idea what he meant by that or why it was so important to him. My mom was raised in a family with strong Baptist roots. Her grandfather started a Baptist church in Arkansas. There were Bible stories in our house. My grandmother sent me to sleep with hymns and um, my mom prayed with us at night. And we always, always, always went to church on Sunday with stiff petticoats and white gloves and patent leather shoes. (laughs) But it never was obvious to me that our family made decisions based on our Christian faith. Um, We just didn't talk like that at home. 
it was a more quiet kind of witness of what church is when our family struggled through some things. And it was always the church ladies that showed up with the casseroles and, you know, the support for our family when we needed it. So I believed in God and I never doubted belief in God, but I also didn't really know how um, loving God should drive, you know, be the driving force of my life. My parents got married in her family's Baptist church. They had me, and I was baptized in the Catholic church. Then, two years later, my sister Abriana was born. And Catholicism was a part of our home growing up, but our predominant religious experience, our real church experience, was actually the Garwood Presbyterian Church, a, a little church around the corner from us. That was our church home, and as my mom always put it, our church family. My mom started going there when we were little. On Sunday mornings, someone, someone, I guess it was Joan, the pastor's wife, invited me to come over there because we, as neighbors with babies, we would just chat. And um, she invited me to come over there. And I understood that I would have an hour to sit by myself while my three children were entertained in Sunday school. Dad had the car, so that being around the corner was a, a the best option and so that dad was at work or dad was at work on Sundays he was working as a weatherman on the radio at that time um so you know that was very appealing at that point I already had Avery too so my three little kids would be in good hands and I would be in a good quiet place and people there were just so welcoming and helpful and they you know, they really made me feel important as an individual. So that we just kept going. We just kept going there. And um, they became our family. When we were growing up, you used the term church family to talk about them, that they were our church family. And that wasn't just a platitude. That was, that really was our experience. And I think for all of us, the basis of our religious experience was Garden Presbyterian Church. And, and it always seemed to me that even for dad, who was sacramentally, you know, Catholic and all those things, his living faith as a believer came, came from there too. Yes, that's true. Once I was in school, my parents enrolled me in religion classes at the Catholic Church. And as a family, we started going to Mass on Sunday nights, but we were still really involved at Garwood Presbyterian. We, or I at least, thought of myself as an evangelical Christian. And even while we were receiving Catholic sacraments, I didn't actually know anything about Catholicism. For me, that came later. When I was a kid, I thought I'd become a Protestant pastor. And for what it's worth, I still think I would have been really good at it. I guess it's too late now. You had religious instruction after school during the week. And we also went to church and Sunday school on Sunday mornings, which, uh, <laughs> led to the term that we were Catholicians. My mom told me that her conversion took 20 years. She and my dad were married in 1982, and she entered the Catholic Church in 2002. And she said a lot of her conversion, she realizes now, came from the prayers of my dad's mother, my grandma Flynn. But she didn't know she was going to convert. I never really had a desire to become Catholic. I only had the desire to understand what my Catholic children would be taught. It became important to me gradually. I knew that, you know, as your mother, I was going to be uh, answering questions.
questions and having conversations with you about what you were learning. And so I wanted to learn as much as I could too. And we had a lot of kitchen table catechism where we were discussing, you know, you, you, you were usually the one who asked the question and you would say, I don't know why the Presbyterians say this. Mrs. Salen told me this and, and Phyllis told me that, but my CCD teacher told me this. What is that about? And then, and then I had to look it up. Catholicism didn't really become personal to my mom until she and my dad attended some Catholic retreats. There were women who gave talks about the real experiences of their lives and really revealed their hearts and how much their faith helped them through. And um, that was, that touched me. My mom was so moved, she ended up helping organize a similar retreat the next year. But what really happened that was important was this group of women. After we gave the retreat, we continued to meet as a small group and we shared um, study materials at different liturgical times of the year. And we just met for prayer and scripture and on a weekly basis. Uh, and then later, um, as lives got busier, on a, maybe on a bi-monthly basis. But this group became such a support, um, an example of what Catholicism is when it's integrated, not when it's integrated in your life, when it is the center of your life. And that was something I had never understood. At that point, my mom was an elder in our Presbyterian church. You're not Presbyterian, you don't know, but that's a pretty big deal. I mean, she was pretty high up. I had often been asked, well, dad really had often been asked what Catholics believe about certain things. Eventually, it, it led to coming down to the differences um, that are non-negotiable. Uh, and, and the main thing, of course, is Eucharist, our understanding of Eucharist. So I was sitting in the Presbyterian Church when they were serving communion, and I just had this really strong feeling that I couldn't pretend. I could not participate in this sharing of bread and grape juice when I knew where Jesus was. Uh, and I, I didn't. I didn't take communion that day, and I knew I never would again. And that what I really needed was Eucharist, the wow. presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Wow. And so what did you do? I mean, I didn't <laughs> know any of this. You would think it would have been smooth sailing from there, but it actually wasn't. My mom asked at the parish how she could become a Catholic. They told her about RCIA. There were classes every Tuesday night. But my mom was working as a teen advisor for a youth group at the YMCA on Tuesday nights. And a lot of the kids in this group needed that group. And I felt that it was a calling of sorts to be their leader and to be in relationship with them and, and try to influence their lives in a positive way. And so I felt very strongly that, no, I can't give up my Tuesday night job to come to these RCIA classes. Is it offered at any other time? And she said, no. My mom turned to her Catholic small group, the women she met through those parish retreats. A lot of them had taught RCIA before. They still had the materials and they offered to teach my mom. My mom brought that option to the parish. And she said, no. And I asked her, what about other people who work shifts or, you know, work nights and, and can't do this? She said, well, you're just going to have to get your priorities in order. And that hurt. 
And so I stopped trying at that point. My mom tried at another nearby Catholic church, and she ended up meeting one-on-one with a nun. My mom said the meetings were pretty casual. They didn't really follow any program. Basically, my mom asked questions and the nun would answer them. And looking back, my mom said that actually some of what the nun told her was not really what the Catholic Church teaches. But anyway. I never went to any of the rites. I wasn't even aware that there were rites that I was supposed to go through. I didn't know that this was a a formal process. I didn't have that experience at all. So informal that in the spring, when it came time for my mom to meet with the priest who would give her the sacraments, she learned about one more unexpected obstacle. In chatting, I mentioned that I had been divorced, and he said, oh, well, you have an annulment, of course. And I said, no. (laughs) What's an annulment? So he told me, you know, that I needed to secure an annulment. And I was so disappointed that I asked him if there was any other way. Because you had been, when he told you that you needed to secure an annulment, tell me, how long had it been that you had been sort of trying to become Catholic at that point? Well, that was in 2002, so 20 years. Well, no, no, that's less than 20 years because I didn't get the desire to become Catholic until later. So maybe a good six to eight years. And you thought, okay, I'm going to become a Catholic at this Easter. And uh, and then he brought up this annulment thing. Yeah. Wow. That must have been frustrating. (laughs) I I remember saying to somebody, all I want is my Catholic card. Why is it so hard to get? (laughs) The priest told my mom there was actually one way that she could become Catholic without getting first her annulment and convalidation. And I think it probably was a little bit awkward for her to talk to me about this, but she did. She told me that the priest said the only way was that she and my dad would live chastely with each other, live as brother and sister, as they say. And that's when I said, no, this isn't going to happen. He's not going to go You don't think that dad would want to do that? No. So um, he said, well, why don't you bring your husband back and we'll talk. And dad did come back with me. And that was a really profound experience because we had been struggling. Um, we, We were pretty immature in a lot of ways. And we didn't have a good idea of how marriage was supposed to work. And so we had a lot of rocky places in our marriage. So. When we came into that office together and he talked to us and then he prayed with us, we were both astonished at the feeling of peace that we had. And when he prayed with us, we both had the experience with our eyes closed that the room was filling up with light. And we walked out of there different people than when we had gone in. Wow. And the the peace was truly the peace that passes understanding. We didn't know what was happening, but we just felt so strangely calm about it. My mom and dad chose to live chastely so my mom could become a Catholic, and she did become a Catholic. A few months later at Easter Vigil, my mom was confirmed and received her first Holy Communion. I was her sponsor, but I was not actually there, so I asked her to describe that night for me. She told me she was nervous, but she was also excited. You know, the... um ceremony that's for for lack of the proper word the events that took place in the church are are not real clear in my memory but what is is like the just um crazy joy 
just the happiness. And I remember a few years later, well, many years later, you were playing one of those family word games that you love to play. And you asked everybody, uh, what was the best day of your life? And it just sprang to, to my mind immediately that the night that I entered the Catholic Church was the best day of my life. I mean, I've had kids, I've gotten married, I've had lots of good days in my life. But without a doubt, that was absolutely the best thing in my in my life that has happened. But that great joy also meant real loss for my mom. That is something that is is missing from RCIA um, a lot of times, or catechesis many times, is that um, it's being led by cradle Catholics, and they just can't fully comprehend the sense of loss and the uh, emotional attachment to a lot of the, I mean, church is, is a sentimental thing. <laughs> it's a family connection. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to break away from experiences and people that have, people that have loved you and experiences and traditions that have been really important to you. And to say, I'm going to leave that now. It's, it's an extreme sense of loss. It wasn't like my mom and dad were immediately shunned from the Presbyterian community. We liked each other as people outside of church. So we didn't completely lose those friendships. In fact, I think two people from the Presbyterian church actually came to the Easter vigil to try to be supportive. But we were just speaking a different language at that point. This Easter was my mom's 18th anniversary of being Catholic, but she said her journey of faith continues, and she had some advice for others. It doesn't culminate in that uh, Easter vigil. It begins there. You'll need to expect to always be learning, and it isn't going to just be given to you. (laughs) You have to participate in not only learning, but in desiring the experiences. And like, as as with confession, participating in the experience until you do understand it. It just kind of drives me crazy when I hear people say, well, I'm a Catholic, but I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. I always need to challenge them and say, if you are a Catholic, then you are obligated to ask and ask and ask until you either assent to what the church teaches intellectually or you embrace it uh you know spiritually but to you don't have the option of just disagreeing and want and and leaving it at that and i think we need a lot more places to um, ask the dumb questions and a lot more catholics who understand the importance of really listening to what's behind the question Thank you for that. I've never heard you ask a dumb question, but thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mom. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Thank you. Okay. Great job. Okay. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. get it. You read a lot of news. 
you read a lot of church news, and probably you want to talk about it, but probably not a lot of people want to nerd out with you about church news each week. But we do. If you want an inside Catholic conversation about the life of the church from a Catholic perspective, we're here for you with a podcast called CNA Editor's Desk. Every week, Ed and I sit down together to talk about the most important Catholic news of the week. We offer our analysis and opinions. And we talk about how the news even helps us in our call to become holy. And we play games because, yes, we are here to amuse you. So if you like Catholic News Agency's coverage of Catholic news around the world, you're going to love CNA Editor's Desk. Each week, we will break down the stories you want to talk about. If you're listening to CNA Newsroom right now on your phone's podcast app, open that app right now and search for CNA Editor's Desk. Then hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode when it drops each and every Friday. And now, back to the episode. Deacon John Rangel has been involved in RCIA at his parish in San Angelo, Texas, for six years. This year is his first year as director coordinator. For John, RCIA is more than a program. It is an invitation for a person to become like Christ, live like Christ, and in turn to offer Christ to others. This is RCIA. For the past six years, from mid-August to Easter Vigil, John and his wife have held weekly RCIA meetings at their parish. The meetings typically last about three hours, but the first 30 to 45 minutes is dedicated to community building. Everyone brings food and stories to share. And then our class presentations are right in the middle of them, and uh, we ask questions. It's not just, you know, by the by the book community. You know, we want them involved. In talking with John, it's clear that the catechumens and candidates are the reason he keeps coming back year after year. Some are wanting to have their their marriages convalidated. Uh, Some are looking for annulment. Some are looking for a richness of life that they do not have. They have such a desire to, to... not only have Christ enter their lives and live that way, but they want to witness uh, to what Christ has done to them and for them. As far as I can see, they are living uh, the life of a Christian Catholic person. And this is the goal for all of us. So I want to help make sure that they receive the sacraments that they need to strengthen them and to live this way. On March 19th, in response to the growing coronavirus pandemic, the governor of Texas issued a statewide ban on gatherings of 10 or more people. John's RCIA class this year has five candidates and five team members, so they continued meeting one-on-one with each of the candidates. Then, on March 31st, the governor ordered Texans to stay home except for essential activities and businesses. So at that point, uh, we decided to step back and and look at the options. The candidates that we have uh, were making really good progress on their their journey toward uh, being involved and received into the Catholic Church. 
So we are here now trying to find ways to get them to continue their journey, their conversion story. John is continuing to meet with his candidates through the video conferencing software WebEx. John said his RCIA class will still receive their sacraments. It's just unclear when that will be. And that has caused a lot of anxiety for people. These candidates, they they were afraid that they would not be able, and they still are, that they are not going to be able to receive their sacrament. Uh, they have expressed, even from the very beginning, uh, a desire to, to receive Christ into their lives, to have Christ be the role model for them to follow. And they were afraid that with this uh, social distancing, that they would be left behind and abandoned. So we are trying our best to make sure that they continue with their journey along with the rest of us. I think when the pandemic first, uh, we got wind of it, we were, I think there was one public mass after we had found out and they had um, asked that nobody receive communion on their tongue. So that was kind of the first sign. This is Krista Listerman. She lives in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. The Archdiocese suspended public masses in mid-March to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. And yeah, I did find out through my RCIA that, you know, we wouldn't be receiving uh, sacraments um, at that time. Krista has been preparing for baptism, confirmation, and First Communion since December. RCIA typically begins in the fall. Krista was the last person to sign up at her parish, and she had to attend some makeup classes. But Krista said her journey to the Catholic Church began far before December. I have been someone in the past who struggled with, you know, religion and and faith. Um, And sometime around uh, 2018, I just started to hear God's call more and more. So I I just began reading the Bible and listening to a lot of uh, podcasts regarding, you know, faith and, and religion. I decided... Easter season 2019 to practice Lent on my own. I wasn't a part of a church yet or anything like that. It just, I felt this call to just sort of practice Lent on my own. Krista was pregnant at the time, so she didn't practice fasting, but she did her best to abstain from meat on Fridays. I did my own sort of penance and staying off of social media for 40 days, which is very, very cleansing, by the way. During those 40 days, Krista said she kept feeling a call to return to church any church. But she was scared. I hadn't stepped foot in the church in over 16 years since I was a child. Krista had signed up for several religious email newsletters. She was reading one of those newsletters on Easter morning when one line caught her eye. Fear is the tool of the enemy. I felt like that was a sign, you know, like telling me, like, don't be afraid, go to church. I had like an hour left to get ready before the local service was starting. And I actually attended an Episcopal church. That's where I went uh, first. Krista attended services at that Episcopal church for a couple of months, but she still felt restless. She felt like something was missing. Her husband was raised Lutheran, so he suggested she try a Lutheran church. And I went there and it just, that felt even emptier than the Episcopal church, if that, if you can understand that. 
I was praying to God for a sign, you know, where, what church should I go to? In my area, there's so many different denominations. And um, I had a strange calling towards the Catholic Church, which is very, you know, I had never, never been inside a Catholic Church. I didn't know anything about Catholicism, but I just started to have this pull towards it. One day, Krista was driving with her seven-year-old daughter in the car. They passed a Catholic church. She pointed at the Catholic church and she was like, Mom, can we go there? And I was like, done, we're going there. So um, that following Sunday, we stepped foot into that Catholic church for the first time in my entire life. And the power of the Holy Spirit was so profound there. It brought me to tears. Krista started attending Mass regularly at that parish, but she wondered how she could make it official, so to speak. After asking around, Krista learned about RCIA. I asked around and they, you know, that's kind of how I got into RCIA. It was like, this is how you become a Catholic. This is, you know, how you're going to be able to receive communion and all of that. She quickly enrolled. Then she told her family about her plans to become Catholic. Krista didn't have a very religious upbringing. Her mom took her to a non-denominational church until she was about seven or eight. And then she just stopped taking me to church. And so that was it. But uh, recently, when I had expressed to my family that I'm becoming Catholic, I found out that they were all used to be Catholic. My great-grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother were all raised in the Catholic church. And my mom sort of broke the chain with me. And um, I had no idea. And then my grandmother obviously has left the church, and she's now Pentecostal. But... uh, it was quite a shock, and I felt a little like, how did you guys keep this from me, you know? Krista is one of six people going through RCIA at her parish. They're still meeting, but virtually, through the video conferencing software Zoom. So, yeah, we're, we're keeping to the schedule, but, you know, as far as the sacraments goes, uh, those have been delayed. And they have no idea when their sacraments will be rescheduled. Krista said the change of plans has actually helped her grow in her faith. At first, it was like a disappointment because, you know, you, you wait so long to receive Jesus, right? Um, but, you know, I'm keeping the faith, and, and I've been praying a lot, praying a lot. I've been doing a lot of uh, rosary novenas and and just um, also doing daily spiritual communion with our Lord. And uh, that's actually given me more hope. At first, you know, it's easy to get discouraged and downtrodden about it. I think that's the human condition, but um, uh, all I have to do is pray. It's like uh, St. Padre Pio says, pray, hope, and don't worry. You know, God is merciful and will hear your prayer. So um, I'm keeping the hope and, and, and the faith, and I'm praying a lot. And I know that Jesus won't deny me. So uh, it will happen. We just don't know when. <laughs> I also spoke with Casey, an RCIA candidate in the Diocese of Peoria. Casey was planning to receive the Sacrament of Confirmation at Peoria's Cathedral this Easter Vigil. She was also planning on receiving a conditional baptism the weekend prior. Then, the diocese suspended all public masses. I don't think any of us expected it to happen, honestly. If, if I'm being honest, it, it was a, a little frustrating at first um, because, I mean, it just feels like I've been trying to, to do this for quite some time now and everything seemed just so certain, like I was finally going to 
actually get to join the church. And then that was just kind of taken away, like so suddenly, it felt so sudden because my RCIA class never talked about this as a possibility. Casey has been attending RCIA classes since September. But I've been trying to be Catholic for much longer. I was raised with basic Catholic teaching, but my immediate family, um, so uh, particularly my dad, is um, not a big fan of Vatican II. So we didn't ever go to Mass, but we grew up learning the catechism and we grew up like praying the rosary. When Casey was in college, she started dating a Catholic. Through that relationship, she went to her first Mass and started attending a Catholic young adult group. That was my first sense of Catholic community. She actually started RCAA during that time in her life, but she stopped attending classes about halfway through. But I just kind of always knew that it was something I wanted to do and it was something that I should do. So um, as soon as I got married and moved, I decided I was going to finally make that first step to actually convert and do RCIA. Casey said she's been in contact with her RCIA class only a couple of times since public masses were canceled and the sacraments were postponed. It hasn't really been too much uh, contact, unfortunately, just because I think we're all kind of still adjusting to like the shelter-in-place order. And then... Um, there are quite a few people who are still considered essential workers, so they essentially they have to keep going to work. Um, so it's just a, a, a weird situation for all of us. But the Diocese of Peoria has assured Casey that she and others in RCIA will not have to wait until next Easter Vigil to receive their sacraments. It was a little frustrating to deal with at first, but then we found out that our parish had plans to get us confirmed after the fact, after the shelter in place is lifted, once we're all able to start going to mass publicly again. So it's it's nice that there's a plan in place and that it's not completely canceled to where we have to basically wait an entire year to join the church. It's It's nothing like that, thankfully. It's just not super ideal to have to be waiting for this like indefinite amount of time before that gets to happen. Um, so that's something that I've just personally been struggling with about the whole situation is just the not knowing when. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. A special thanks to my mom, Linda, for sharing her story with me and to Deacon John Rangel for telling his story. Thanks so much, guys, and God bless you. <laughs>